As I was preparing the message this week, I was thinking over the last couple of weeks, and I've started with a quiz, and you have all done so well, I wanted to give you at least one more chance. So um, I wanted to give you a brief quiz, and this quiz is about pioneers, um, people who made new discoveries, people who you know, found new places and did things that had never been done before. So are you ready? Are you ready? Nod your head. Good, okay. And you don't have to compete, all right? We're just going to do it together. All right, so here's the first pioneer. Um, this French chemist and microbiologist was the first scientist to support the germ theory of disease. He developed a new vaccine for rabies that saved the life of a nine-year-old boy bitten by a rabid dog. Who do you think that is? I think I heard his name. Yes, it is Louis Pasteur. There he is. There's Mr. Pasteur. And here's the next pioneer. In 1928, this person was the first woman to cross the Atlantic Ocean in an airplane, a trip that took more than 20 hours. Who is that? That is Amelia Earhart. Okay, this next pioneer was a man, an American entrepreneur, marketer, inventor, who was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple Incorporated. Who would that be? That's right, that's Steve Jobs. Here's another. This woman was an American physicist and astronaut. She joined NASA in 1978 and became the first American woman in space. Sally Ride. Great. Now I have one more pioneer, and I don't have a, per a picture for this person, but let me see if you can guess who it is. Are you ready? Okay. This man was dedicated to persecuting the disciples of Jesus in the first century. But following a dramatic conversion experience, he became a follower of Christ himself. He established several churches, in fact, quite a number of churches in Europe, and wrote nearly half of the books found in the New Testament part of the Bible. That would be, yes, Paul the Apostle. Now, he's called an apostle because he's a man sent on a mission. And Paul had this incredible mission of telling people the good news about Jesus. And he took that good news to people who had never heard the story of Jesus before. And Paul also spent a lot of his time writing letters, and many of those letters have become part of our New Testament Bible. Now, this morning, I want to use one of those letters as an opportunity for us to talk about moving into the future. That letter is written to a group of believers in the city of Philippi, so the letter is called what? Yes, yeah, some of you know this. It's called Philippians. Now, this letter is extremely practical and helpful for us because here's why Paul wrote this letter. He wanted those Philippian believers to have the perspective that they need in a very difficult world to live with joy and peace. Now, why is that important? Well, we're going through the series called 2020 Vision, and we're talking about seeing things from God's point of view, putting on our gospel glasses, especially when life is hard, so that we can keep moving forward into the future rather than being stuck in the past. And I really appreciated what my dear friend Alistair Geddes said a number of weeks ago. He said, you know, you have a choice. You can choose to be a prisoner of the past, or you can choose to be a pioneer of the future. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to be a pioneer of the future. Now, as we look at some verses in Philippians this morning, I wanted to give you an overview of where the message is headed. And this is on your outline. It says this, Paul was a pioneer chosen by God to advance the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. Paul rejoiced as he saw God's purpose being accomplished in him and through him. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, we too can rejoice because just as God used what happened to Paul to accomplish his purpose, God can use what happens in our lives to accomplish his purpose. So let's take a look 
at what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He writes this in chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see when it comes to God accomplishing his purpose in your life and mine. And this is on your outline again. God used Paul's chains, and God can use ours too. Now, what are these chains that Paul's referring to? Well, Paul is a prisoner. As he writes this book of Philippians, he's actually chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day so that there's no possibility of escape. How did he end up in chains? Well, a couple of years before this, he was illegally arrested in Jerusalem because the Jews there thought that Paul had desecrated the temple by allowing Gentiles to, to enter there, non-Jewish people. And so Paul, for a couple of years, was in jail in Caesarea, and then he did this. He exercised his right as a Roman citizen. Any Roman citizen could appeal his case to the emperor, and that's what Paul did. So Paul now is going to Rome to stand trial. But here's something really important for us to remember. Paul always dreamed of going to Rome as a preacher. If he could just get to the epicenter of the Roman Empire, just think about the influence that he could have for God and for Jesus. But instead of going there as a preacher, he now is going there as a prisoner, a man in chains. Let me ask you this. Has your life always worked out the way that you dreamed it would? I, I know the answer to that. No. A lot of times the things that we plan don't work out the way we had planned. The question is, how do you react to that? How does that affect you? How did it affect Paul? See, so often when things don't work out the way that we had planned, we get discouraged. We feel depressed. We're sad. We're disappointed. But when you look at Paul's response, it's really incredible because Paul was filled with joy. Now, how is that even possible? Well, here's the reason. Because Paul knew that what had happened to him was accomplishing God's purpose. Look at verse 12 again. He writes this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to, and what's that next word, church? Advance the gospel. Paul's not going backwards. He's going forward. The gospel is being advanced, and that word advanced is a really interesting word. In the original language of the New Testament, the word advance was applied to armies, and how when they were on a mission, they would just clear out any obstacle in the way. And as I was working on the message, I was thinking about my dad. Um, my dad was a soldier in World War II, and he was in the Navy. He was part of a, a special unit called the Seabees, Construction Battalion. And the Construction Battalion would help the Army advance into enemy-held territory. They would build airstrips and roads and bridges and all kinds of stuff. And that's the picture here. Paul is advancing into enemy-held territory. He, he's paving the way for people to follow. He's paving the way for the gospel to advance. And this is what's so interesting. He says this in verse 13. As a result, as a result of being a prisoner and a pioneer, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for what reason? For Christ. God has a purpose for the chains in my life. Now, I want you to think about your life. Have you ever felt like you were in chains? Have you ever felt like something was limiting your life? You know, I've talked to people who have told me, hey, Pastor Dudley, you know, I just feel like chained to my job. Um, it's just the same thing day after day. There's not much room for advancement. There's conflict with my boss and my coworkers. I wish I could break free, but I've got to find another job first. Sometimes people are chained to their job. 
And sometimes people feel like they're chained to a relationship. You know, maybe you know somebody, or maybe this has been your experience, you get married, um, they call it tying the what? You tie the knot. You know, you're connected. And sometimes that knot can feel more like a chain because, man, at the beginning, the, the marriage was a source of joy and excitement and fulfillment, but now it's just the same old thing, day after day. And things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. I know that this is sometimes the experience of Christians. They're married to someone who's not a believer. And they've made a decision to, to stay in that relationship, but it's hard. And instead of enjoying their marriage, they simply endure it, and it feels like they're chained. And then there are other people that are going through a, a chronic illness, and it feels like they're chained to that illness because that illness limits what you can do. And there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't know if you're going to get better or worse. The future is just so unclear. But here's the thing. This story of Paul reminds us that God has a purpose for the chains we experience in this world. And God can still accomplish his good purpose in us and through us. Now look at this statement on your outline. It says this, that God used Paul's chains to influence unbelievers. God used Paul's chains to influence unbelievers. Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And this is interesting. Every few hours, there would be a shift change. Uh, a new Roman guard would be attached to Paul. Now, these were not ordinary soldiers. These were an elite group of fighting men that protected the, the emperor. They were the emperor's bodyguard. And in fact, they had so much influence in the Roman Empire, they were called kingmakers because they could decide who the next emperor was going to be. They could simply impose their will by force. And this is really interesting. You know, Paul had this idea that he was going to go into the Roman Empire with a message. You know what God did? God sent people to him that he could talk to, these men of great influence, so the message now could go back out into the Roman Empire. And think about this. Think about Paul, you know, chained to this Roman soldier. I mean, obviously, there wasn't anything to do except talk. And imagine the soldier saying, hey, buddy, how come you're chained to me? And Paul would have this incredible opportunity to say, let me tell you a story. My life was headed in the wrong direction, and then I met somebody that turned my life around. And Paul had a captive audience, literally, and he could tell them about the bad news that, you know, just like me, you know, you've, you've come into this world with a heart that pulls you away from God's purpose and God's plan, and I can see those soldiers going, tell me more. And Paul would, and he would say, listen, because of our disobedience, this God who made you, this God who loves you, well, you're separated from him, but he loves you. And listen, because he loves you, he's made a way for someone to pay for your disobedience and your sin. And he would tell them about Jesus, that God's son came to this world, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead. He would tell them the good news, hey, you can have a new life by trusting Jesus and giving your life to him. God used Paul's chains in an amazing way to influence unbelievers. But here's something else. God also used Paul's chains to influence those who were believers in Jesus. Look at verse 14, it says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, that's really remarkable, isn't it? If you're a believer this morning, think about your, your chains, those things that seem to limit you. How could God use them to advance the gospel and to influence others? Now realize this, how you see your chains is really crucial. Because think about Paul. What if he looked at that chain and said, man, I can't believe that I'm chained to the stinking guard. I thought I was going to come to Rome as a preacher, and now I'm just a, a prisoner. 
why does bad stuff always happen to me? Man, I wish I could just catch a break. Now, if he had had that kind of attitude, how would that have affected the guards? How would that have affected other believers? And this is really important because even though Paul is going through some really difficult circumstances, what is he wearing? He's wearing his gospel glasses. He knows that God has a purpose for these chains. He knows that God loves him. He knows that God's in charge of his life. Now, let me do this. Let me give you three practical things that, that we can do um, when we're feeling chained. It could be chained to a job, to a relationship, to a health problem, to anything else. Three things we can do from the story of Paul to make a difference in people's lives. And here is the first. We can pray. We can pray. You know, Paul is chained up. His prayers are unchained. Right? Listen, you don't have to ask people's permission to pray for them. I do it all the time. You can pray for people, and your prayers make a difference in their lives. And listen, if you're you know, somebody who feels like you're chained to your job, pray for your boss. Pray for your coworkers. If you feel chained to a relationship, pray for that other person. Pray for God to change their heart and to change your heart. If you're chained to a, a health problem, say, hey, God, would you please give me an opportunity through this experience to point people to Jesus? So the first thing you can do is what? Pray. Here's the second thing you can do. Write. You can write. You know, Paul's a writer. I mean, this letter that he wrote over 2,000 years ago is still being studied by people like us today, and we learn from it, and we're encouraged by it. Listen, you can write words of encouragement when you're going through a tough time in your life. You can send a text. You can write an email. You can go old school and write a card. But that makes a difference in people's lives. And here's the third thing. Well, let's go back. What's the first thing you can do? pray and then what's the second thing right and you can speak you can speak up you can tell people about your source of hope I have a dear friend who's going through a really big challenge right now and he sees that as an opportunity to point people to Jesus and that's exactly what God wants us to do so Christian listen whatever is happening in your family your job your life put on your gospel glasses and realize that God has a purpose and let me tell you, the bottom line of that purpose is to make you more like Christ, to make you more like Jesus. Now, here's something else that God used to accomplish his purpose in Paul's life, and he uses it in our lives too. God used Paul's critics, and God can use ours too. How many of you have any critics in your life? <laughs> okay, it sounds like I'm not the only one. Yeah, you know, where do they come from? It could be a critic at work. It could be a critic in your neighborhood. It could be a critic in your family. Now, how do you respond to the critics in your life? How does Paul? Well, let's take a look. This is verse 15. It says this. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The, later, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, what's going on here? Well, let me just give you the Reader's Digest version. While Paul is in prison, these other preachers are trying to take advantage of the situation. They don't like Paul. They don't see Paul as a colleague in the gospel. They see him as a competitor. And so they're trying to draw as many people away from Paul to say, hey, they're following me. They're trying to bolster their own ego in order to distress Paul while he's in prison. So how does Paul react to these critics? He says this in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is priest, preached. And because of this, I what? I rejoice. Now, why does Paul rejoice in the face of all this criticism? Well, there's two reasons, and this is on your outline. Number one, God used Paul's critics to advance the gospel. 
Because even though they're, they're critical of Paul, Paul knows that they are preaching about Jesus, and he rejoices in that. But there's another reason. Paul rejoices because God used Paul's critics to develop spiritual maturity in Paul. And listen, that's God's purpose for the adversity that comes into your life and mine. I, I was thinking this week that when we face conflict in our families, that's an opportunity to grow spiritually. Isn't that true? And that's true in your church family. When there's conflict in a church family, it's an opportunity to grow spiritually. Because I will tell you this, Satan is trying to tear down the church. He tries to drive a wedge between relationships. But if we respond by doing what God says, if we're full of grace and full of truth, and we point people to Jesus, and we're ready to love and to forgive, what happens? The church is built up. The church advances. And that's what God wants. Now, here's something really important. Do you know why it's so important to handle church conflict in a God-honoring way so that we don't hinder the advance of the gospel. Because God wants his kingdom to grow. He wants the kingdom to advance. Jesus said, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples because you fight with each other. What is the, what is the answer? You'll love. The world will know that, that you're my disciples. They'll, they'll know that the Father sent me if you love one another. And that's what God calls us to do. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see when it comes to accomplishing um, his purpose in our lives. God used Paul's crisis, and God can use ours too. Now, for some of you, you need to know this today because you're going through a crisis. Uh, for some of us, we've been through a crisis recently, but I can tell you this, as we go through life, there's one up ahead. And so for Paul, I mean, he is literally in a life-or-death situation. He's going to appear before Caesar, and one of two things will happen. He's going to be released, or he's going to be executed. So how does he respond to this? Well, again, take a look at what he says. He says, yes, even though I'm in this life-or-death situation, I will continue to what? To rejoice. Why? For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, in this short passage, we see some very important ways that Paul deals with his crisis. And this is important for us, too. And here's the first thing. In a crisis, we need the prayers of others. In a crisis, we need the prayers of others. I heard a story about this mother who was in church one Sunday with her five-year-old son, and he was just misbehaving and making all kinds of racket and distracting people, and so finally she had had enough. So she stood up, and she started to walk to the back of the room. This is in the church building. And, of course, every eye is on this woman. And this little boy gets to the very back, and just before she walks through the doors, he yells in a really loud voice, Hey, everybody, please pray for me. Now think about this. That little boy was doing a biblical thing, wasn't he? He was facing what he thought was a crisis, and he said, Hey, would you pray for me? I'm in trouble. I need some help. But see, that's what Paul does. And Paul doesn't just pray that others will pray. He asked them, and he's counting on their prayers. And church family, we need to be able to count on each other's prayers when we face a crisis. And that's why week in and week out, I start the service, and I say, hey, you know, fill out the next step card, and if you have a prayer request, write it down. And if you have a prayer need, go to the cross after the church, because I really want you to do that. Because listen, we need to pray with each other and for each other. You know, we have a, um, a prayer um, partner's email that goes out on Fridays. If you want to be part of our prayer team, just write that on your next step card. We'll add you to the email list. You'll get prayer requests for the people, from the people in our church family. Because here's what we need to do. 
We need to pray for and with each other in a crisis. And listen, as your pastor, I've got to tell you this. Thank you for praying for me. I really do appreciate it. You know, so often on Sunday morning, people will say, hey, pastor, I'm praying for you this week. There are little kids in our church, two and three-year-olds that come up and say, Pastor Dully, I'm praying for you. Now, can you imagine how encouraging that is? I want you to know that you have a church family that's willing to pray for you, and we need each other's prayers. So that's one of the things that's really important when you face a crisis. You need the prayers of others. Now, here's something else that we need in a crisis. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God living in us. Notice what Paul says again. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I remember years ago when God called me to be a pastor, I had to go back and get my undergraduate degree, and I went to FAU. And I had an appointment with my academic advisor. I'd never met the man before. And so I'm waiting there. The door is closed. He's got a student in his office, and he's screaming at this guy. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And they're having this heated argument, and then the door flies open, the student comes out, and then this academic advisor looks at me, and his first question is this, I sure hope you're not one of those blankety-blank Christians. And I thought to myself, hmm, how should I respond? <laughs> what would Jesus say if he were standing in my place? And I thought, he would, Jesus would probably ask him a question, because that's what Jesus did. So that's what I did. And I said, well, let me, let me ask you a question. What's your definition of a Christian? And without hesitation, he said, a Christian is somebody who has the spirit of Jesus Christ living in them. I said, spot on, man. And I said, by that definition, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen, believer, that's true for you. When you decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and you can do things you could never do before. And realize this, when you're in a crisis, God has promised to give you wisdom and to give you strength and never bail on you. When Jesus went home to heaven, he said to his disciples, I will be with you how long? Always. Always. So realize that you can depend on the prayers of other people. You can depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's one more thing we need in a crisis. Are you ready? Here's the last thing. In a crisis, we need courage. We need courage to honor Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but we'll have sufficient what? I expect to have enough courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he makes this dramatic statement about his life. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, when you go through a crisis, what do you need? What's the first thing you need in a crisis? Look at your notes. What do you need? Prayers of other people. What's the second thing you need? The Holy Spirit. What's the third thing you need? You need courage. I need courage. Because here's the definition of courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is stepping forward in faith despite your fear. And this is what God calls us to do. Because of the prayers of others, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we can advance into the future that God has planned for us. And church, here's what I want you to see. God is calling Boynton Beach Community Church to be a pioneering church. Just in the last two weeks, I'm aware of seven people who crossed the line of faith through the ministry of our church. People who said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. That should encourage us so much. And I want to take a minute to share something with you this morning because God is giving us more and more opportunities to be a church that advances the gospel. Uh, many of you know 
that for quite some time I'd been involved in international ministry with pastors. Um, it was 14 years ago that I took my first trip to Bolivia, South America with a dear friend, Jeff Orcutt, and Eddie Lockett, who plays on our worship team. My son David went with us. And we had this incredible experience of reaching out to pastors. We did a seminar there for a bunch of pastors and their wives. Since that time, I've had the privilege to work with other pastors in Colombia, South America, and Honduras, um, in Haiti, in Africa. Most recently, this is at the end of last year, 2019, I had this incredible opportunity to work with three pastors in the UK, two in England, one in Manchester, the other in Liverpool, and then another pastor, um, his name is David. He um, pastors in Edinburgh, Scotland, and he is the director of missions for the Free Church of Scotland. And so we developed this, this friendship. In fact, just yesterday, he sent me an email about what he's preaching on today in the UK. And so God has been opening these incredible doors of opportunity for us to, to make a difference in the world. And because of that, our elders have decided to, uh, to launch something called, and let me put it up on the screen here so you can see it. It is called the International Leadership Initiative. And of course, that's a lot to say, so I refer to it as the ILI, the International Leadership Initiative. And you've heard me say many times that God wants us to make a difference where? In our church, our community, and the world. And God is giving us more and more opportunities to make a difference in the world because ILI will function as a mission arm, the international mission arm of Boynton Beach Community Church. Now, this is a project of our church that I'm going to be overseeing in addition to my role as the pastor here. And, and if somebody were to say, well, what's the purpose of the ILI? Here's the purpose, very clearly, is to equip pastors and church leaders to make the gospel of Jesus Christ the center of their lives and their ministries. I want pastors and church leaders to do what we're doing, to put on their gospel glasses and to see everything from God's point of view. Now, how are we going to carry out that purpose? Well, we're already doing this in a number of ways. Um, last summer, I went to Honduras and worked with 28 pastors. Um, we did a seminar to help them learn to put on their gospel glasses. We want to develop coaching and mentoring networks. We want to plant new churches. We want to be involved in resourcing pastors so they can grow in their faith and teach their congregations. Um, I'm really excited because God is, uh, is putting this all together. Just this week, I've had conversations with the leaders of two international ministries who have talked with me about the potential of partnering with ILI, partnering with our church. And one of those organizations invited me to go to Cuba. Um, this is the first week of February. And here's the plan. There's 20 leaders from the U.S., church leaders. We're all going to end up in Havana, flying on different flights. I get to be the first one, I found out. And so I'm working really hard on my Spanish because I'll be in there Havana. But, but here's the thing. We have an opportunity to see what God is doing in Cuba because there is opposition to the gospel that God is advancing in Cuba. There's this growing network of pastors that are coaches and mentors for each other. The house church in Cuba is exploding with growth. And we'll get to meet the people that are leading these house churches. But here's the thing that I'm really excited about. It's an opportunity for us to figure out how God wants us to come alongside what's happening in Cuba and be a part of it. And, and not only that, but in a couple of months, I'm planning to go back to Honduras. Um, I just contacted another pastor who's going to go with me again to, to minister to the, the pastors there. Now, I was thinking, if, if I'm sitting where you're sitting this morning, um, you may be thinking, well, that sounds, that sounds great. That sounds exciting. But Pastor Dudley, uh, let me ask you this. How are you going to do all that in addition to your responsibilities here as a pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked, because here's the answer. 
um, one of the things that we're continuing to do, we're going through this process of recruiting additional staff for our church so that our church can keep making progress, keep moving forward in faith. We're also identifying people that we can recruit and train as leaders here in our church family. And, and here's another thing. A lot of this international work I'm already doing. So church family, let me just say this. The, the longer I travel this path of following Jesus, the more passionate I'm becoming about the opportunities that God's giving me and the opportunities God is giving us as a church because I believe this with all my heart. The local church is the hope of the world in every nation of the world. And that's because of its people and its message, this gospel that God's entrusted to us. And this morning, I'm so glad that we've been able to look at the story about Paul because think about where Paul is in his life. He's facing great uncertainty. He does not know how many days are ahead. Guess what? Neither do you. Neither do I. But there's one thing that Paul is so completely clear on, so sure of, and here's what it is. Paul knows who he's living for. And Paul knows what he's living for because he makes this statement, for me to live is Christ. And so let me ask you this question. Who are you living for today? What are you living for? If you were to complete that statement, for me to live is, what would you, what would you say? I mean, some people would say, for me to live is to have a really good job. For me to live is to retire early. For me to live is to build that dream home. For me to live is to be somebody important. For me to live, and some people would stop and say, I'm, I'm not sure. I just kind of take life as it comes. I'm not sure who or what I'm living for. Church, my prayer is that together we will know who we are living for. And who would that be? Jesus Christ. And we would know what we are living for to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ because you've heard me say this, and, and I'm becoming just more and more convinced of this. Every day that I live, the ultimate solution to every problem, every challenge that we face is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the answer for what's wrong in this world because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can settle your past and assure your future and help you face whatever is happening in your life today with peace and purpose as a pioneer of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible story of Paul. Thank you that he was a pioneer, God, who advanced into enemy-held territory with a message of the gospel that changed people's lives. And you've called us to do the same thing, Lord. In this generation, you've placed us right here on Boynton Beach Boulevard between a, a school with hundreds and hundreds of families and, and, and a hospital. And Lord, a place where there's so many new homes. And God, what an opportunity you've given us. And I pray, Father, that as a church, we would become excited and passionate that you've called us to partner with you in making a difference in this world. And God, I pray today um, for the person who, maybe for the first time, is understanding that they've never responded to the gospel. God, I pray that they would come to you and say, Jesus, this is good news because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So I admit that I've failed you in so many ways and haven't loved you, God, not the way I should and haven't loved people, so would you forgive me? Because I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead and I need a new life. And God, thank you so much. On behalf of every believer in this room, thank you, God, for rescuing us. But you didn't rescue us so that we would just come together in this place. 
It's wonderful to worship you, Lord, but we need to continue that worship by taking the message of the gospel wherever you call us. So I pray, Lord, for the grace to do that. And Lord, I know this, that in order to be an effective gospel witness, we have to know who we are. We have to know that we're a child of the king and that we're advancing the kingdom. So Lord, as we sing this last song, would you remind us that we are children of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you.